Great job, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Um, we are uh, starting a new series uh, uh, today uh, that we call we call it Living and Active. Living and Active, and it's a, um, a four-week series um, about the Bible. And uh, so today we're going to kind of give you an overarching view of what, what we believe um, here at Market Street Church about the Bible. And then over the next couple weeks, we're going to give some technicalities of why um, we as a church believe um, and, and Christians believe that it's the most amazing, unique uh, work that God breathed into and gave life to. And uh, so that's what we're going to be talking about over the next um, couple weeks or so. But um, many, many years ago, a uh, wealthy woman uh, was on a journey. She was traveling. Uh, and she was away from her husband long before cell phones, long before any kind of phone. And the way that they communicated was through uh, te the telegraph. And that's how they communicated with one another. Can you imagine uh, trying to communicate that? And uh, as a matter of fact, what happened in this story changed the approach of how they communicated through, uh, through that. And so the woman, uh, I, we put on the screen, here's what she sent to her husband as she was away through the telegraph. She says, have found wonderful bracelet, price 75000 May I buy it? Okay? So you went, I don't know how that necessarily, how all that worked, but they sent that message to a uh, husband, and this is what the husband sent back. No price too high, okay? This is what he said, want, wanted to communicate to his wife. This is what she received. No price too high. No price too high. And she bought the bracelet because she thought, wow, what an amazing husband I have. No price. He says, no price is too high. Well, really, you the only thing that was missing was a little thing, little comma, little comma in there, right? And so you know what happened? They changed how they sent these messages. Because of this particular instance, they changed how they sent messages. And so after that, obviously the husband was not happy that his wife came home with a $75,000 bracelet because of one little thing, one missing thing, the comma, and they changed. And so, so what they did now was they would, they would put, they would write out comma. They would just say, it would say, no, C-O-M-M-A, <laughs> Price is too high. Price too high, okay? So that, because of that particular instance and other instances like that, they changed their approach. They changed their approach. Now, I hope that you're, you might be here, and I want, to I want you to change your approach when it comes to understanding what this is, the Word of God, the Bible, the word on the street is, what culture says about it is it's constrictive, and maybe that's sort of how you feel. It's constrictive. Man, I got to do what these things tell me to do, and that requires me to 
make some sacrifices in my life and, and I don't really want to do these things, you know, because they're hard to do. It's, so the word on the street is it's constrictive. It's, it's sentimental. Some, some of you may view it as sentimental. You know, well, my grandmother had a Bible and, you know, and it's, oh, it's nice that she had it and she probably had this big old large Bible, you know, this, they call them the family Bibles, you know, and maybe for you it's sentimental. Maybe, it was, maybe you think of it as it's full of lies. That's sort of what culture thinks. It's full of lies. You know, it, it's, it's full of errors. It's, it's, it's a fabrication. It's a fable. It's a myth. These are sort of the things um, what culture's view is of the scriptures, of the word of God, that it was just pieced together, that it was uh, used by the powers that be to control people. And it was used in that way. And that's what the view is. And that's what maybe you're here. And that's sort of in the back of your mind what the view is of the Bible. That's your view. That it's, it was just pieced together. It was controlled to, to control the people. It's, a, you know, it's sort of a restriction on my life. I don't really want to use it. And, and I want you, and I, I ask that you give over the next four weeks. Again, maybe today is not going to solve it for you, but over the next four weeks that you give the, it a chance to maybe take a different approach, to maybe look at it in a different way. Um, I uh, have this book that um, I actually purchased um, in an um, uh, auction that we had here at the church. And uh, it's, it's one of the coolest things that I have in my possession. Um, it's just this little small book that we had an auction here because our church was really good at and is really good at keeping track of the history of, of the church. And, and, and so I, in an auction, bought this, this book. And it's, it's a really, really old book. As a matter of fact, there is a signature on here. It's hard to see, but it looks like it was written in like those really old quill pens. You know, remember? You know, I'm sorry, you probably see those in movies. None of you are really even that old enough to even use one, I, would, I don't think. Uh, Jack, are you? The, no, I, I, I don't know if... <laughs> you used a quill pen. Okay. You know, so... I, don't, I only make fun of Jack. That's about it. Um, and so everybody's like, is he going to make fun of me now? You know, it's those, you know, those old pens with the old things with the feathers, you know, they're like basically feathers and then you dip them in ink. Well, that's what it looks like as what was signed here. You can kind of see uh, the drips and I'll, I'll pass it around and you can, you can take a look at it. But it's signed, it's dated February 3rd, 1841. I mean, that's the, what it signed. It, it was published, this particular, it's called the Pastor's Handbook. It was published in 18, uh, 1840, you know, or something like that. And it was published then, and it was just a, this signature with what looks like this quill pen that was written. It was some name. It was, I don't even know, you know, the name because of how the ink sort of blotted it out a little bit. C.A something booker, you know, maybe it was a pastor. I, I, don't, I don't really, really know. But this was, I mean, this is 176 years old. 
You know, and that, and, and I love, I love it. I even read it, you know, on, on occasion. It's, it's a book for pastors. It says dedicated to the Christian pastors in their official duties. So often called to the minister at funerals and in the sick room to celebrate marriages and to counsel or preside in ecclesiastical assemblies. Which I've done these. I do these things. This is what I do. And so it's just a book written by W. W. Everts. And you never, never heard of W. W. Everts, but W.W. W. Everts was a church planter. He went around the, the, the country and planted different churches when he wrote this book, this particular book. He was the pastor at Late uh, Street Church in New York City when he, when he wrote this particular book. I, I looked up why it was called Late Street Church in New York City. It's because the church met on Late Street in New York City. And I kind of like that because people ask me, why is it called Market Street Church? And I said, well, because the church meets on Market Street in Wald Lake, right? And so if you didn't know that, that's why. And so we're the church. It's not a building. We're a people. And this is where we we gather right now. You say, well, what if we ever move? I don't know. Maybe we just change the name. I don't know. I haven't got that far yet. But, you know, but he, when he wrote this, it was Late Street Church. So I thought that was kind of neat. And if I pass this around, you would, and I, some of you are already cringing. Like, don't do, that's a bad idea. Like, this is 176 years old, and I'm not going to pass it around. But you already know intrinsically of how to handle it, right? You already know, if I gave it to you, you're gonna go. You're like, I don't want it. You know, you're almost gonna say, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't wanna hold it because I don't wanna be the one that's responsible for tearing this thing in pieces. Like, I don't wanna be the one that does that because of how old this is and how precious this is to you and, and I don't wanna be responsible for that. Listen, I just got news for you. As why don't we see God's word in that manner? Why don't we view God's word in that way? Well, I just, this is just a pastor's handbook that talks about how to handle church order and what to say to people when you go into a hospital room and, or what to say when you're performing a marriage or, or doing a funeral service. And all of these things are helpful things. But listen, this is not the most precious thing that I have. This is the most precious thing that I have because this is alive. This is living. This is active. This is something that God breathed into. This is something that is a story of rescue, restoration, and redemption centered around the person of Jesus Christ, who is the greatest person who is alive and well today. And it is a book for you and for me to understand what the creator of the universe, the author of this scripture, has given to us so that we can have a life that is full and abundant and profitable. This is what this is. And you say, man, I, I'm still on the side of thinking that it's just sort of a piece together book, that it's great for history. And I'm sort of on the side of it's a little constricting. I'm sort of on that side. Listen, I understand why you're coming from that place, but I just got news for you. What we view and how we view this book as what Christians and followers of Jesus view this, this book as, this is not just a book that is a stand, this is a book that is a stand alone book 
book. This book is unique and different than anything else ever written on pages. This is the very breath of God given to you and given to me. That's what this is. And here's what the writer of Hebrews said about that. In Hebrews chapter number 12, or excuse me, Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and is active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I'm not here today to prove, I'm not here over the next few weeks to prove or try to defend the scriptures because they can do that all by themselves. I'm not here today to try to, or the next few weeks, to try to convince you of what this is. Listen, I hope that you are convinced of that, but I don't need, and you don't need in culture to try to defend the word of God because people that try to defend the word of God think that it's just another book that we are supposed to defend, think that it's a dead book that isn't, according to the Hebrew writer, living and active. The word of God does a great job at defending itself at a greater degree of holding the word of God the word of God is holding me together as much as I hold the word of God and love holding the word of God to a greater extent the word of God props me up and you can, you, we tote around our Bibles and we have our Bibles and we think, man, I, you know, I gotta, I wanna be careful and I want you to be careful and I want you to take it easy with it. And it's because of what it is. It is, it is living and it is active and it is sharper than any two edged sword and it divides soul and spirit and it goes deeper than the joints and the marrow and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what the Word of God does. But the reality is, is the scripture takes care of itself. The Scripture props itself up. It doesn't need you, Christian, to prop it up. It does a good job all of its own. Second Timothy, Paul was the writer here in this letter. To the, he wrote to Timothy. This is his second letter to Timothy. That's why it's called Second Timothy, because it was his second letter to Timothy. Are you learning a little bit about the Bible? Are you like, I, I didn't even really know that. Well, that's okay. That's okay. I, for many years, I didn't understand that either. But it's the second letter that he wrote to Timothy. And here's what he told Timothy in chapter 3, verse Number 12, he says this, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He's just reminding Timothy of the reality of the culture that we live in. If you desire to live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to go through difficulties. You're going to go through struggles. You're going to go through battles. You're going to go through circumstances that you don't wish to go through and you don't wish anybody else to have to go through. This is what he's saying. He says, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. Have you noticed that in culture over the last 30 years? It has gone from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
It is deception. There is those that are out there wanting to deceive. There's, there's, there's people out there that are wanting to steer you in another direction to get you to believe that this isn't true. As a matter of fact, over the last 20 years of, of being in ministry of my life, it was about 20 years ago, it was about what does this have to say? What does this tell me? That's what it was 20 years ago. What does this tell me? You now, you now know what, it said, what people say? Is this reliable? Is this true? It's no longer 20 years ago when I started, all right, pastor, just tell me what it has to say and I'll buy into it. That was 20 years ago. Today, I don't even know if it's reliable, according to people, not me. I don't even know if it's reliable. I don't even know if it's true. That's what people approach me with that. And he says, it's just gonna go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, here's what he tells Timothy. You, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of. Now, I want you to know that over the next four weeks, my, my job, my ambition, my prayer is that you are convinced of the thing that, of what this is, that this is living and active. This is God-breathed. This is not like any other book that you have in your possession, that this is actually the most precious thing that you have ever held in your hands. I hope that you're convinced of that. That's what he told Timothy. He says, listen, I learned because of what you're convinced of, knowing from what you have, you have learned them, from whom you have learned them. And he says, and then from, this, from, from that, from childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So Paul is writing this letter to Timothy for the second time, and he says, hey, Timothy, I want to remind you of how you live a godly life in the time where things are getting for going from bad to worse. I want to remind you what it requires of you to live a Jesus-exalting, God-honoring life in a culture that is just, just dissipating. And truth is, nobody finds any value in, in truth or knows what truth is. And so he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. From childhood, you have known, this, known these sacred writings. Now, I have... Um, brought some some bibles with me these are sort of um my bibles as i was as i was growing up um this was my first bible that was given to me i was probably five maybe six years old when i was given this bible there's nothing like getting when you're five or six years old a bible that has my name on it chris doke yep that's that's kind of cool to have like it has my name just some, just in case i lost it somebody can find it for me and make sure that it got back into my possession uh, this bible is pretty awesome because it can have the cover or not the cover <laughs> on it it can go, you can go without, you know, you can have it if you want it, if you can go without, I, it's, a, it's up to you, but that, that's pretty amazing. Um, I'm, I kind of was 
thumbing through the Bible, I have like a few things underlined. So I was growing a little bit spiritually, but not a whole lot. I'm noticing that there's not a whole lot underlined in, in this Bible, not a lot of notes taken in, in this Bible. And, uh, but you know, I mean, you know, I don't know how good of an idea it was, you know, but to have a, a Bible, a King James Version Bible when you're six years old, when you're learning how to read, but you know, that's, this is what I, what I had. And so I, I, I have, still have this Bible in my possession. Then, um, you know, as I was getting older, I, I got this, uh, the student Bible, you know, when I was going through, you know, school and, you know, early on in my, you know, school and days and going through college, even a little bit of college, you know, I got this new revised standard version, you know, Bible and, you know, I'm op- I open this up and again, there's a, a few things underlined, you know, a few more things than my first Bible that I had, but you know, I mean, it was, it was a nice Bible, it was a hardcover Bible, so, you know, a little bit more durable, you know, th- for this one. And then I got, uh, as I was um, starting in ministry, my parents for Christmas and it actually has it on here. Uh, they, they wrote in it. They got it for me for, for Christmas uh, from my mom and dad, Christmas of 2000. Uh, this is when they gave me this, this Bible. This is a King James Version life application Bible. And so they, they said, you know, you're going into ministry. You, you, you need some life application. And this is a kind of a cool Bible. It has just little notes in, down in the bottom. So if you're reading it, you're like, what in the world does that mean? You just read what somebody's a lot smarter than you has to say about it. And so I relied a lot on this for preaching. As a matter of fact, when I first started preaching in church, this was the Bible that I, that I used. And people would make fun of me saying that, why are you carrying around a family Bible uh, to preach with? I mean, this thing is like, hey, everybody. And I would walk in up on the stage in my suit. Yep, I used to wear a suit uh, to church I would, with my King James Life Application Family Bible. And I would walk up to the pulpit and be like, all right. You know, out of breath for carrying this thing, you know, open it up, you know, and I got a lot of things. I, I got like sermons in here. Oh man, this is the one on, on Daniel. You know, Dan, I got a Daniel sermon. I just opened up right here. Dan, courage, confidence, and contentment. There you go. You can go home for the day. You just got your three-point sermon that all started with C for you right there, just as I opened that up. And I don't know, I was a part of the uh, young adult ministry, and I don't know if they were tired of hearing me fumble my way through King James' words, uh, these old English words, so I, I don't know if that was the case. But when I um, <clears throat> it was in single adult ministry, they, they gave me as a gift the single uh, department at Faith Baptist Church uh, on January 12th, 2002. They presented me with the NIV study Bible. I don't know if they thought I needed to study more, or they thought that I needed to have a version of the Bible that was a little bit clearer for, for them to understand because we don't speak Old English anymore. I'm not knocking the King James Version. I like the King James Version. Don't, don't get me wrong. But they presented me with this Bible. So for a number of years, I used this NIV study Bible. And now, now I, got, I sort of graduated in, in life a little bit, and uh, I got this dual-tone uh, Bible, uh, the New American Standard Bible, which is the Bible that I currently, currently use, and it's fallen apart a little bit. And I've, again, I've got some other notes in here, and I can preach any sermon you want me to preach because I got them all sort of written down in here. And so I, I love this Bible. It's manageable. It's easy for me to carry. And so for my youth, from my childhood, I've always had these Bibles. 
But I think, I was thinking about this. And I'm wondering if even as a Christian, from a Christian standpoint, growing up in the faith, that I need to, and maybe for you as a Christian, that you need to take a different view and a different approach to how we view this as well. That I wonder if you've been a Christian and I've been a Christian for so long that it's just another Bible that I have. That it's just another Bible that I, that I use and that you use and it's just the Bible for you. And according to Timothy, according to Paul to Timothy, he said, hey, listen, from your childhood, you have known the, not the writings or not the scripture based on what translation you have, but the sacred writings or in other versions of the Bible, it says the holy writings or the holy scripture. I wonder for a Christian, for those of you that have been a Christian for many, many years, have lost sight of the fact that this is something that is powerful, something that is life-changing, something that is given to us to move people out of death and into life again. And that's what I wonder if we've lost that as followers of Jesus. That it's just, I got my Bible, I grabbed my Bible, I got my Bible. No, no, no. It is the holy word of God. It is sacred scriptures. It is what God says, listen, you need to understand, it is living and it is active and it it will transform your life. And he says, in the next verse, he says, all scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable. You want something profitable in your life? You want to have profit in your life? You want to be profitable when it comes to your marriage? You want to have, be profitable when it comes to your parenting? You want to be profitable when it comes to your career? Do you want to be profitable when it comes to your finances? Do you want to be profitable when it comes to your you know, establishing good life habits? Here's how you are, can find profit. Here's what is profitable for you. To follow, you say, no, they're restrictive. No, they're profitable. No, they hold me back from doing what I want to do. No, 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 they're profitable for you. No, they get in the way. They cramp my style. They get away of my, the way that I want to live my life. No, he's saying, listen, they're inspired by God. They're profitable for you. It's profitable. That word inspired, I think we have that on there, uh, up here. That word inspired is a Greek word, which is that right there. (laughs) That word right there, um, it's it's actually two words, theos and then uh, uh, pneumos. I think it's theos pneumos. I I had it written in English and not Greek, but that's what it is. It's it's theos pneumos, which is two words, which means God breathed out. God breathed out. That's what it means. That, that he says, listen, that the word of God is inspired. It's inspired. It means that God breathed, that God exhaled out. And what we have is that somebody can move from death to life. That's what it means. 
And it is profitable for you that God breathed this out onto the text for us to have so that you can know what it means to have eternal life, so that you can know what it means to live a life and a life that is abundant. This is what he's saying. It is God exhaled onto the page for you and for me to understand what God wants in our life. Peter says it this way. Peter says in 1 Peter, because he also wrote other letters to the church. So this is the first letter that he wrote, 1 Peter 1. He says, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That you have been born again. What, that, what does that mean? That means that when you put your faith in Christ, that you are a new creation, that you are a, a new creature. I hope that you haven't been a Christian too long not to appreciate that. I hope you haven't been a Christian for too long to go, wow, I have, I've been born again. I am a new creation in God. The old has passed away and all things have become new for me. I have been forgiven of my sins. I have been forgiven of my trespasses and now I have a new life in Christ and the life that I once lived in the flesh, I now live by the spirit and the power of God that lives in me. You are born again through Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news, Christian? You are born again, not of a seed that is perishable. It is not something that just dies off over time and you have to keep doing it over and over again. No, this seed is imperishable. It lives on forever. It is living and it is active. He says that is through the living and enduring. How did you become born again? How did you get a new life in Christ Jesus? How did that happen? That happened through the living and enduring word of God. That's how that has happened. And then he goes on and he quotes from the Old Testament. He says, for all flesh is like grass. You and me, are, he says, are like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. So you and I are like grass and on your best day and your best season of your life, you were like a flower that rose up out of the grass and it's a beautiful flower in all of your glory and whatever season of your life that that is for you or maybe you're in it now or maybe you're not in it now, I don't know. But the flower of the grass, he says, but the grass withers and the flowers falls off. I don't know if you know that or not, but life is short in that way. Life is futile in that way. And you, my friend, and I are like, our flesh is like grass. It's going to just die off. Our best days are like flowers. They just fall off. But, he says, the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. One day, you and I, you, your grass and your flower rises up, but one day, your grass will wither and your flower will fade. But the, you know what's going to stand forever? You know what's going to stay forever? The words of God will stand forever. Why? Because it is living. It is the enduring word of God. You are going to be long gone. No matter what you think about the word of God, you are going to be long gone, but the word of God is going to stand true forever.
35 years ago, communist China, what they determined, they had about a 1 million, out of all the people that live in China, they had about 1 million Christians, despite the persecution and the treatment of the word of God. They would take the word of God and they would burn it. They would take Christians who claimed to be Christians and they would oftentimes, you know, kill them. This was about 30 years ago, 35 years ago. As a result of that, in China, they began underground churches. They couldn't worship publicly in the manner that we worship here today. And so they, they, they started house churches or what they called underground churches. And there was thousands, thousands and thousands of these underground churches, non-registered churches. China would allow, eventually over the years, they would allow some registered Protestant, Jesus-following, Bible-exalting churches, but only just a handful of those churches. We have just unbelievable more churches in America than, the chi- than China does publicly, registered churches. In 2010... So in 2000, or excuse me, 35 years ago, 1 million Christians. In 2010, there are more than 58 million followers of Jesus in China. Over 58 million followers of Jesus in China. In an article just a, just a few months ago, a leading expert in religion in China said this, that, that believers, that he believes that believers will will rise to over 160 million followers of Jesus by 2025 in China, in communist China. You say, how is that possible? The enduring word of God. You, there's no government that can shut down the word of God. It is living, it is active. That's why it doesn't need you or me to prop it up. It does a good job on its own. And government can say, no more worshiping, no more gathering, or you're not allowed to do this, or you're, this is gonna happen to you. And those followers of Jesus in China say, you know what? As a follower of Jesus, I'm gonna be persecuted. That's just the way of life. But we're gonna continue allow the proclamation of the word of God to go out. And in 10 years, in less than 10 years, there's going to be 160 million Jesus followers. By 2030, they said, including Catholics, the Christian population will, will exceed 247 million, placing it above Mexico, Brazil, and the United States as the largest Christian congregation in the world. And some Chinese government official is quoted by saying this, They scratched their head, and here's what he says. The child became an adult, and the parents don't know what to do. The child became an adult, and it just exploded. It grew. You say, how does that happen? It's because of the enduring word of God. That's how that happened. In... um, North Korea, North Korea, they, uh, it's the, voted over the last 16 years as being the most um, difficult place to be a Christian. And they go to where China was 35 years ago and trying to be a Christian uh, in North Korea uh, like it was 35 years ago in China. And um, 
they still have one of the largest and fastest growing church followers of Jesus in the world in North Korea. See, how does that happen? It happens because of the enduring word of God. That's how that happens. Voltaire was a French philosopher. And Voltaire was somebody that said, you know, he says, uh, in 100 years, here's what he says, in 100 years from today, the Bible will be forgotten book. And he also said it took 12 men to start Christianity and one will destroy it. That same year that he made that quote, he died. He died. And in his home, for a hundred years, they published the word of God in his home and was a distribution to the word of God from his home. Why? Because the word of God is living and it is enduring. That's why. There was a king, young king named Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Josiah lived in a time of in history of Israel that they shut down all religion, all worship out of the temple. And Josiah must have been raised by an amazing mother who instilled the principles of God and the laws of God and the commandments of God into his life. And when Josiah became king at eight years old, he asked the, those that, um, the priest and those that were, um, had skill to begin to renovate the temple and to get the temple working again and running again. And as they began the project of getting the temple up and running after it being shut down for hundreds of years, being shut down, no access, no use, no, no faith, no trust in God, no, no sacrifices, no you know, ordinances, no, no coming to God with prayer. It was just a completely shut down society. They shut it all out and they, it, was all, it was complete. And Josiah said, you know what, we got we to gotta open it back up again. And so he ordered that they began to open the back up again. And they, he, after a while of it being renovated and getting the temple going, they brought word back to Josiah. Josiah, we found something that we think is important. And they brought it and they began reading it to King Josiah. What they began reading was the words of God, the law of God, specifically the book of Deuteronomy. And it says that as Josiah is hearing these words of God that was lost in the basement of the temple, they just sort of stumbled upon it accidentally. They brought it back to Josiah, started reading the God's word to Josiah. And it says that Josiah, he just tore his clothes out of fear and anguish. And he tore his clothes and he said, we've got to do something. We've got to change this because this is the word of God. And this is what the word of God is telling us to do. We need to reestablish everything so that we can have God's favor and God's blessing. And Josiah began this reformation 
all throughout Israel. And they began to reinstitute all the things, all the laws of God, because based on what the word of God said to do, they reinstituted and they began eliminating all the idols that they began to worship. They eliminated all of, all of those. They started putting together the Passover, putting the Passover back in and practicing that. Josiah himself sacrificed 32,000 animals as a, as a blood sacrifice for the sins of the people. He, he, he said, listen, we've got to start doing what the word of God wants us to do. And as a result of that, in Josiah's reign over the, last, over the, over the 30 year period, Israel experienced tremendous, tremendous success. Tremendous success. And here's what it says about Josiah. Because of him receiving the word of God and doing something about it because he knows the power of it and he knows the favor that it brings about and he knows how it is profitable for him. Here's what it says in 2 Kings 23, 25, he says, before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his might, according to all the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. I mean, you're talking about a young kid, eight years old. And eight years later, he began to institute all of these things that the law of Moses, the word of God. I mean, come on. Have you ever read the book of Deuteronomy? It's a snoozer. And I say that with all honor and respect because of what the word of God is. But it's not like Colossians, right? It's not like Ephesians. It's not like, you know, John going, and in beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. I mean, it's not like, you know, the Bible talks about that we are his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. It doesn't, it's not like it said, like, you know, you were once in darkness, but now you're in the light of life, that that's where you were once dead in your trespasses and your sins, but you are now made alive together with Christ Jesus. I mean, I mean, that's what we have. It's the word of God that it just changes lives and it inspires people to live a profitable life. It's the word of God that does it. Yeah, it can cramp your style every once in a while, but it's powerful and it's active and it divides soul and spirit and it goes deeper than the bones and the marrow of your life. It is something that is enduring forever. You're gonna fade. Your flower's gonna fade, but the word of God is gonna stand forever throughout years and centuries and generations, people have tried to eliminate this thing and they have had no success at all. Zero. There's something to that. Something to that. I'm telling you, man, this is like the key. And maybe you're here and you're like, oh, it's been just like, I don't know, it just seems like a messed up book. Some teacher told you that in college or some friend told you that at work and they shared some things of how there's some, appears to be some contradictions in the word of God and you're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's reliable. Listen, it's reliable and I'll prove it to you. 
I hope that I convince you. And maybe it wasn't today that I convinced you, but you gotta go on the journey with me over the next couple weeks because it's reliable. It was convincing for Timothy and from his childhood, he held on to the power of it and God used him in amazing ways. Paul held on to the power of it and God used him in amazing ways. You say, I'm not Timothy and I'm not Paul, but listen, it's the same for you and for me. God can take this word in your life and God can use it in a powerful, powerful way. It will reform everything in your life. It will reform your whole world if you let it. And a little boy, eight years old, was pushed into a position of power and he says, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I need the help from the Lord and we need to reinstitute the word of God and everything changed and there was no king like him before or after. What a statement. You say, greater than David? Apparently. Apparently. That's a statement. David was a man after God's own heart. God used David in an incredible way. But Josiah, man, he took the word of God and he instituted it. And it changed everything. It will change your world if you let it. It will change your world if you let it. Why? Because this is a book about taking things that are dead and making them to life again. It will take things, your marriage, it may be dead, it will bring it back to life again. Your family, you might be in a rut, it will take it out of a rut and it will bring it vibrant in life again. That's what the word of God does. It will take what life you feel like you're just kind of going through and moseying your way through and wondering why you're getting a raw end of the deal. It, the word of God will give you air to breathe. Why? Because it is God exhaled out on the pages for you so that when you feel like you're underwater, you can still breathe. That's what the word of God does. It is God breathed on you and you feel like, man, I can't do this anymore. I can't work through this anymore. I can't deal with this anymore. The word of God gives you room to breathe in your life because that's its breath for you and me. It's God. And it changes everything. God took dirt from the ground and he formed a man and he called his name Adam. And Adam, being dead and dormant, lifeless, just with form, The scripture tells us that God leaned over Adam, lifeless and dead, formed. God leaned over Adam and he breathed into his nostrils. And it says the breath of life. And man became a living soul. That's the breath of God. And the exhale from Adam was the breath that was breathed in 
to him. That's the word of God. He wants to breathe life into you. Father, we um, we come with a reverence to this holy word that you've allowed us to have in our possession in our language. God, you've given us the privilege of reading it, understanding it. You help us understand it through the workings of your spirit within us. You help us understand. You reveal some things in it that we maybe couldn't see uh, on our own, but you do that through the working of your spirit so that we can be profitable, so that we can have a life that is of value, worth, accomplishing, purpose. God, we thank you for inspiring it, breathing out it for us. And though nations have tried to shut it down, governments have tried to shut it down, individual people, philosophers have tried to diffuse it, discredit it, it has just continued to endure. It has just continued to produce and give life to those who are dead. That's what it's been doing. And God, I pray, Lord, that we are people that live by it. We honor it. We apply it to our life because of knowing what it can do, how it can change everything. Thank you for this time together. I pray, Lord, that each person will come back and take a different approach or be open at least to a different approach to what we have. Your word, your word changes lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend.